Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. But we're talking about this idea of knowing your enemy, knowing the, that there are evil spirits out there and knowing that they try to torment you. And today is what they call Halloween. So what better day than to talk about this kind of stuff than then, right? You know, let me just tell you, you don't have to be scared of little kids running around in costumes trying to get candy. <laughs> like that's not going to ruin their life. Now, I realize that makes people feel some kind of way. I'll just let that sit for a minute. And you got some people out there that I get it. They've come out of these occult backgrounds. They've come out of witchcraft. They've come out of darkness, substance abuse, even satanic ritual abuse. Yes, there is that dark stuff out there, but it, it, it only has the power to shape your thinking and your culture and your life to the degree that you give it significance. Now, I'm not saying that you, you know, put on a pentagram and dress like Anton LaVey and run around listening to Slayer music. I'm not talking about that. that you know, there are some boundaries here. But just in general, lighten up. Say lighten up. Say lighten up, Tracy. How y'all doing over there, by the way? All right. <laughs> so let's go into this. We are in this series. This is number two. Last week we really talked about the origin of demons, and this week we're going into how to win spiritual warfare, what even is spiritual warfare, and then next week I will continue this series. But judging by some of the... Um, I, had, I had planned to go into... Uh, a series on wisdom, and then we have some guest speakers. Oh, by the way, which Sarah reminded me coming in, I, I put in my testimony of growing up in a kind of a wild, you know, household, no rules. Pretty much the only thing I was taught was don't get caught, you know. Uh, I think my dad's favorite song was Why Don't We Get Drunk and, uh, you know, keep, I'll just say. <laughs> I'm just saying, it was, it, which led me into Devil Walk, which I am giving this away. If you've never read my story, grab one of these books on the way out. We're, we're just giving it to you today. It's my story of coming out of substance abuse, of an interact, a crazy interaction with voices and, and the demonic, you know, not having believed in God. I was never born again as a kid, didn't believe in God at the time. I used to sit on my roof and get high and wait and ask the aliens to come pick me up, which these kids back here, that's not a good idea. Don't, Hayden, don't do that, okay? Just so you know, it's not a good idea. Because <clears throat> I've had some people say, well, that's how you found God. And I'm like, yeah, but there's better ways than that. <laughs> Let me just tell you. You could just pray, you know. But anyway, so if, uh, if you haven't read it or if you want one, and also, too, if you know people that should read this, the first half is my crazy, weird, drug-laced story. Uh, not my entire life, but this particular event of encountering demonic voices and all of that. And then the second half is what I learned. Grab one or two on your way out. We've got a bunch of them. Uh, and give it to somebody that might need it, you know. Well, the so The second half is the teaching. Bit. Yeah, did I not say that? Did I skip a... The second half is... <clears throat> I got my mind back. So... A little bit of review. Last week we looked at the book of Enoch. Again, Enoch is not canon. We don't view it as scripture, but it is 
The, the concepts that it talks about are referred to in Scripture. We looked at that last week, Genesis 6, Jude. But here's the significance of why we're talking about Enoch, because we're talking about the origin of demons, the origin of evil spirits. <clears throat> and Enoch gives us a little bit of detail here in Enoch 15, 8. It says, and now the giants, which in Genesis 6, it talks about that the sons of God, which are also referred to as the watchers or fallen angels, or some people classify as Elohim, uh, whatever it is, there were spiritual beings that had a high spiritual authority that fell, came to the earth, and mated with women. And those produced what we call Nephilim or giants. And I got a couple of pictures here just for review. And so, and now the giants, how many of you have ever read Genesis uh, and felt like giants? That's like, how many of you ever read Genesis and y'all are raising your hand? Sorry, I wasn't finished. But, but you're like, uh, <clears throat> well, giants, what's up with that? That sounds weird. But you think about it, it's in culture, you know? So when you think of a giant, what's the first story you think of? David and Goliath. I mean, you know, the, 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 the one who Jesus will precede and sit on his throne forever, right? There's, they're very significant in our culture. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, and now the giants who are produced from the spirits and flesh shall be called evil spirits upon the earth, and on the earth shall be their dwelling. This is a direct reference to where we got demons or evil spirits. Now, I did get the one email this week that said, no, 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 angels are, uh, demons are fallen angels and they're running and, da, 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 and had this whole thing listed out. And it, at the bottom it said, because I have an email list that I try to I send out, maybe, you know, once a week or so, an email. It's usually a summary of the blog and a link to the message. And, and at the very end it said unsubscribing. I'm like, okay, I, you know, can't please them all. But this is what they're do. this is what they did back then and this is what they're still doing. And the spirits of the giants, demons, evil spirits. Now, if you disagree with this, that's okay. We can agree that demons exist, evil spirits exist, and they're trying to oppress us. And what are they doing? What is their strategy? We learn a lot about what their strategy is from what these ancient kings were doing in the past from these cultures, ancient Egyptians, Sumerian. We talked about some of that stuff last week. This is what they're doing, though. And the spirits of the giants afflict, oppress, destroy, attack, do battle, and work destruction on the earth and cause trouble. They take no food, but nevertheless they hunger and thirst and cause offenses. <clears throat> Offense is one of the tactics of the enemy. Now, they can't make you be offended, but when you choose to respond and hold on to an offense, you're attracting an enemy to continue to reinforce that and wreak havoc in your life in their spiritual ways that they work. Now, you could at any moment choose to forgive and move on, and that, in, that spirit loses any sense of influence in your life but you give place to it. Let me comment on that for just a minute, uh, in just a minute. So, and these spirits shall rise up against the children of men and against the women because they have proceeded from them. They're like rebellious stepchildren. That wasn't funny. I thought that was going to be funny, but that was not funny. Like, I'd so, <clears throat> so in, in, in culture, just a couple of pictures from last week. This is Sumerian. You see this guy floating up in the above. We don't really know what that is. Um, but you see in the left side of the picture, you see three very tall men. 
See the, the biggest one, if you look at the ground, he's got his foot on one, one of the smaller ones. And these smaller guys walking up as if they're like in line to whatever they're doing. Probably some type of worship. You see it in Egyptian culture. <clears throat> in fact, see the guy on the far right carrying those giant blocks? Maybe that's how the pyramids got built. With the, you know, archaeology does not know how that stuff got built. But maybe there were actual giants on the earth in those days. If you look at uh, archaeology, now they're realizing and saying that the Sphinx and the pyramids and, and Tiwanaku and Pumapunku and all those places uh, are older than what we think our modern history is. So we do know that the culture of Egyptians that were writing all the hieroglyphs and mimicking their gods of the past, uh, that came well after when the pyramids were built and probably the Sphinx as well because there's all this water erosion, which is a fascinating study. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's a fascinating study to look at the Sphinx that it probably went through the flood because there's all this water erosion on a structure in the middle of a desert. Why would there be all this water erosion, uh, you know, measurable water erosion on a, on a structure that's been in a desert for thousands of years, you know? So every culture has a story about a great flood. So why the flood, right? Let me just click through the rest of these. Which, when we were in Paris at the Le Hoover, I got to take this picture. This is probably Gilgamesh or Nimrod. Nimrod was probably an ancient, ancient Nephilim, ancient giant. If you're unfamiliar with Nimrod, Nimrod was in where? Babel. Babel. And so you, got, you have, remember when God came to Abram and he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, out of the worship of his father's gods? It, <laughs> uh, back then, Abram's father, it's documented, was a priest in the temple of Nimrod. And so God went to Abram and called him out of the worship of these ancient gods and kings. But even before that, <clears throat> they had set themselves up as gods and kings. And they were ruling. If you look at all the cultures that acknowledge giants in their past... The giants were always kings that ruled and dominated over mankind. That's what they were trying to do. That's what they're still trying to do in spirit form now, but they have no authority because Jesus has stripped them of any and all authority. So then you get into this idea that gets a little weird. Now, this is a little bit harder to see, but this is a Sumerian relief. And again, you see that craft up top or whatever that winged thing is, and then you see the beings on the right and left, and they have some sort of technology. They have these buckets. Um, and then in the middle, can you see that? It looks like, so people that really study this stuff say that it looks like a, a, de a depiction of the human genome, DNA. This one is another version of it. You can see these winged beings, which were probably the watchers. That's probably what they looked like. When, you know, the ones that mated with women and the, and the giants were offspring. There seems to be this fascination with mankind. And they were trying to corrupt mankind. And it wasn't just in behavior. This seems to be some type of genetic stuff that they were trying to affect mankind. Now, we also see in Enoch that they were teaching mankind 
uh, root cutting and astrology and all this mystical secret knowledge that they weren't supposed to have. Even in Enoch, Enoch tells, uh, God tells Enoch, go tell them you have misused information, spiritual information that you got from me and you've corrupted mankind and you are forever going to be you know, banished because of that. So the, the story of Enoch is interesting if you go back and read it. Um, so when you look at what they were doing, it specifically says they were going after strange flesh. It says they were corrupting, it even lists fish and birds and all this kind of stuff. And last week I put in there maybe even bats. <laughs> Genetic research on bats maybe. So, so he, here's the thing. When you hear your friends your crazy conspiracy theorist friends talk about they are putting uh, stuff in these vaccines that will change the DNA structure of humans so that we are no longer humans and we will no longer be people and the enemy can take over. I don't, you know, I'm not going to go that far, but here's what I'm saying. Don't be so quick to dismiss that acknowledgement of that thinking that there are forces out there that are trying to corrupt mankind. Now, I'm not trying to wave an anti-vax flag. I'm not trying to have the conversation on that level. What I'm saying is it is within the consciousness of humanity to recognize there are forces out there that are trying to corrupt humanity, right? And we know it and we feel it and we sense it. Now, some people get a little too wound up about it and they want to start you know, saying that the, the, the royal bloodline is remnant Nephilim and the, you know, the presidents are da, 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 and it just, you, you can get re really, how many of you ever been, maybe you're not now, you don't have to own this now, but have you, many of you ever gone down the conspiracy rabbit holes and it's like, how deep is that hole? And it never stops, you know? It's like you're chasing the devil and you're never going to catch him because he's spirit. So, that's, I think that's why we're feeling and sensing these kinds of things. In general, people are like, something's not right. Just something's not right here because it is in our history that spiritual beings tried to corrupt mankind. Now, Bob and I were talking about this this morning. In the story of Noah, it says that Noah was perfect in his genealogy. You ever notice that phrase? He was perfect in his genealogy. And probably what that's referring to is Noah and his family were still humans to be preserved. And so, you know, when you look at the flood, most of Christianity thinks that, well, God was just so angry at toward sin and he just decided to kill everybody. That's not really what was happening. That was a protective measure toward mankind to preserve the bloodline of humanity to get a human Messiah into the earth. Now, if you've never known that, if you've never thought about it that way, it changes. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't punish sin because he does and he did. Well, he did. <laughs> he punished it all in Christ. Now, should you go out and sin? No. Because Jesus already paid for it? No. Thank you. Please don't do that. But if you, so, you know, like Paul says, don't sin. But if you do, remember Jesus is your sacrifice for sin. Now, the legalistic or the, the, the kind of immature mindset says, well, that kind of sounds like you're making place for sin and it's okay, it doesn't have much of an effect. No, no, no. You know what I say to that mentality? Grow up. I mean, really, grow up. 
We're talking, to, we're talking to an adult mindset that's not looking for an excuse to make a mess of your life. We're talking to grown-up adults here of the mindset, the spiritual mature mindset that says, thank goodness that I am now in a relationship with God where he is not relating to me based on my behavior. My sinful lifestyle will still bring destruction into my life, but as far as me and God, he is a spirit and spiritually I'm connected with him and I am safe, I am free from the effects of sin affecting my long-term future, and I am safe in Christ because the blood of Christ has changed the kind of being that I am. I am now the righteousness of God in Christ because of what he's done. Now, because of that, I want to live in a way that makes my dad proud. You know, that, that's why you allow grace to affect you and change you and you repent and turn, you know, away from sin because you want to live in a way that's honoring to what God has done in you and through you. Amen? Amen. So a little bit of gospel in there. But back to this idea. There are these evil spirits. There are these evil beings out there. But here's what we have to know in Colossians 2, 9. And I read all of Colossians 2 last week. We read a lot. If you notice here, I go from 9 to 10 to 15. I'm not really trying to leave something out. I'm just highlighting here. This is where you are. This is that spiritual circumcision that happened to you where God performed surgery on you. He removed that body of flesh, that sin nature, and he gave you a new heart and he put his spirit within you. That now defines the kind of being that you are. You cannot be corrupted even if something is injected into your body made to do so. And let me just say this. Nobody is going to accidentally take the mark of the beast. So quit sending me those videos, please. <laughs> well, we just need to be aware of these kinds of things. Okay, okay, okay. All right, so for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in Christ, and you are complete in him. Say, I am complete in him. Now, here's where you can tell what you believe in your heart about something like this. When you say a phrase, I am complete in him, do you think about your failures. Do you think about, oh man, I'm still not free from this thing that I'm really craving right now. I'm not complete. What are you talking about? I'm complete. This is talking about in spirit. This is talking about the eternal you, the spiritual you, the real you, because you still have an aspect of your being that has not yet been fully made complete, but that will go away. Amen. See, if we can shift our understanding of what and who we are, we gain a spiritual worldview, a spiritual perspective that helps us realize, no, I, I still have this earth suit. I still have these emotions. I still have this mind that is influenced by what's going on in the world. But there's hope because what I can do is I can turn all of that toward God within me. And as I stand in acknowledging what Christ has done within me, it begins to affect the rest of my being. So you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. Isn't that interesting? How do you experience transformation? You think differently. That's really the definition of repent. If you, if you have some behaviors, some poor emotions, some limiting beliefs, some addictions, some whatever it is that's still anchoring you into your old man or destroying your life today, that's not who you are. You're only behaving that way because in, you're entertaining those emotions and thoughts, maybe because you live that way for so long. But there's hope for you. 
because that is not you. You turn to who you truly are, and that is Christ in you, in the you that is in Christ, and you live from that power. We say it every week, and I pray that you have revelation to catch that and live from the power of it. Bob and I, again, we were talking about that this morning. You know, when you, when you really start understanding what grace is, this power, this strength within you, this spiritual substance that helps you live in a way that you can't on your own, you know, that, that does actually shape and transform you and get you to a place where you're just impervious to some of these failures that you used to fall into. And religion is horrible about giving you excuse to stay stuck in your sin because it tells you you're a sinner by nature. Now, you might be a sinner in your behavior, but you can change your behavior. Your nature, you have been made spiritual. You have been made eternal in Christ. You have been made eternally righteous in Him. I know I'm repeating that, but I just, I don't know, I just wanted to, you know, make that clear. So this week we're looking at this idea of spiritual. Now I'm just going to read a few things. I'm not going to, I don't have any, anywhere near as much as I did last week. We were here entirely too long last week, but not really. It was fun. Did you get something out of last week? Yes. All right. So knowing that, <clears throat> oh, I didn't read the second one. In verse 15, specifically talking about these evil spirits, how do we understand what is affecting our lives? How do we understand what the demonic is doing? How do we understand how to stand against it? How do we understand our authority, what they can and can't do, authority versus power? Peter and I were talking about that, the difference between authority and power, and I'll kind of go into that a little bit at the end of this. But here's where we stand. Jesus, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So when we hear the term spiritual warfare, we're not talking about battling demons that have equal power to God. And we're not talking about spiritual beings that have authority over you. What's happened here in this Colossians uh, passage, you, you can almost view it this way. There's God and there's only one true God. He exists in three persons, right? Spirit, or uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There are all types of classifications of spiritual beings. I'm not going to try to go into that. I don't even know what they all are. And there are humans. But what we know is humans are actually created higher and closer to God than those spiritual beings, higher than angels. Do you realize that? Angels are created as servants to men. So there's, there's God, man, spiritual beings. In terms of closeness to God, spiritual beings were not created in the image of God. And that's not just the, what we look like. That's talking about the kind of authority that we share. That's talking about our order within all of creation. And some people teach that when mankind fell, we gave our authority to the devil. Well, that preaches well, but it, it never actually says that. It, there was never a time when the devil gained human authority. If that were true, then, then devils could just do whatever they want to on this planet. But even to a lost person, they're subject to the inherent authority of a human being. A human being still is responsible for their choices, whether saved or lost, and they still have authority over any evil spirit that might come into your life and try and torment you. You, you are never subjected to a spirit that is more powerful than you in authority. And so the idea of authority and power, there's God who has all power and authority. There's, there's Christ 
who is, bridges the gap between God and human because God became a human. Aren't you interested in seeing what that's going to look like? you got God who is spirit, but he also exists in a form that's human and bridges the gap between that place where humans can enter in because God is now human in, a, in part of his existence. You know, so like trying to understand the Trinity, I mean, you could think about it forever and never really, never really grasp it, you know. But we share in the nature of God now because God became human and, and, and made a way for us to enter into his presence. Now, again, you're not God, but it specifically says that he gave us great and precious promises so that we would be a partaker of his divine nature. I mean, come on. Demons, all of these other beings are not partakers of God's divine nature. They're spiritual. They never had authority over humans. We didn't relinquish our authority. But there is spiritual authority and there's human authority. And I don't mean to do it like this, but there's spiritual and human authority. What Jesus did is took all spiritual authority. See, because he became human, are you with me? I see some eyes drifting and wandering. I, you know, don't st so stay with me here, okay? Say, I will stay with you. All right, thank you. Makes me feel better at least. You got human authority, spiritual authority. There was the Father. He had given authority and different rank and file to these other beings, principalities, powers, all of that stuff. There's human authority. But God stepped into humanity, so God now has human authority. I'm not... Don't, don't misunderstand me. He's all-powerful. But in the way that he set this place up, he gave mankind dominion. Well, he stepped into that for us to rescue us from the destruction that we created ourselves. And then there's spiritual authority, which Jesus now has all spiritual authority. Those beings still exist, and they still you know, do God's bidding and follow his commands, And which, by the way, where'd Bethany go? She had a story of angels last week. That maybe we'll talk about that next week. But so there's a spiritual authority, which Jesus has it all, all of it now. And then there's still human authority. But here's what's interesting. Jesus shares his authority with humanity now. We're going to talk about this next week in terms of binding and loosing and all of that. I'm telling you, we are way more powerful than we even have a clue to the degree that we can speak to disease and it go away. Now, we don't know how to always exercise in that authority and power, but Jesus did, and he was the model, and he showed us how to do it. We want to continue to move toward that. So when it comes to spiritual warfare, we're not in a battle with beings that are stronger or in authority over us. And the fact that you sin does not give any devil the right to come into your life. You ever heard it taught that way? Yeah. Now, you might open the door for the enemy yourself to be demonized and lied to and influenced. You might open the door to that kind of influence. Just like if you go out there and you open that door and you're going to feel that cool air coming in, your behavior might... And so here's how you open the door to the enemy. Your behavior or your beliefs or your self-limiting deceptions will cause you to think in such a way that you, your mind starts entertaining options in life that can be influenced by lying, evil, deceitful spirits. 
But the moment that you stop believing those kinds of things and your behavior will shape what you believe, especially what you believe about yourself, the moment you turn away from the self-deception or the behavior that causes guilt and shame or the more you understand who you are in Christ, you close the door to that influence of thinking. But the end, I don't care, I don't care if you do as much satanic ritual stuff as you possibly can, that does not give the enemy the right or the authority to come into your life. But you are opening the door and saying, hey, come on in. Why don't you come wreck up? Why don't you come lie to me and wreck my life? That's what you're doing. And it's important to know that because at any moment, you can stop it. You just, you just tell that stuff to go. Again, next week, we're going to look at a little bit more of that. This week, I'm just kind of setting the legal structure so that you understand your authority. And we're going to end on your role of how to engage in spiritual warfare and always be victorious now. All right, so those beings we saw, they were always trying to set themselves up as gods and kings. They were always trying to rule and dominate and corrupt mankind. They're still trying to, but they can only do it through willing participants. And there's a world out there that's willing to participate. So most of what we believe or know, there's a couple of passages that come talk about what spiritual warfare is. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Because the Lord is in you, He will make you strong. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. I personally believe that's a description of what grace is. His mighty power that is strong in you is grace coming alive. It's charisma. It's that grace in action. It's what the gifts are. It's the spiritual presence of God strengthening in you, giving you wisdom, sanctification, redemption, righteousness. Uh, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, the capacity for miracles, all of that stuff, all of that is, the, is, is this. His mighty power being strong in you, rising up within you. You ever prayed and you felt like you got an answer from God? Yeah, that's just that grace rising up inside of you, right? So put on the full armor of God so that you can make your stand against the devil's schemes. It doesn't say so that you can go to battle. It doesn't say this so that you can attack. Make your stand. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the world's darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up your full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and that's just a way of saying when the enemy comes, uh, you will be able to stand your ground. Say, stand your ground. ground. And we're going to talk about how do you stand your ground. It's, It's difficult when you're making bad choices to stand your ground, when, you're stand, when the footing that you have is weak because you're shooting yourself in the foot because of your behavior and your beliefs and all that stuff, but you can stand. So uh, stand your ground and having done everything to stand, stand firm then with your belt of truth buckled right now. I have a whole separate teaching where I kind of break down this whole full, the full armor. I'm not going to go into that. I might jump into the... Um, the Facebook group this week and, and just specifically go through and break down the armor and what it is. Most of us really know it's not, I mean, it's, there's not that much great deep wisdom, but it is good to work through it and know what it, all those different things are. But for this case, we'll keep going to talk about the spiritual warfare aspect. Stand firm then with the belt of truth 
buckled around your waist. Always gravitate. Always find out what the truth is. Well, let me just do it a little bit. Y'all want to hear it a little bit? Yes. Always know what the truth is. And, and honestly, this one, always be truthful to yourself. Because the person that the enemy can deceive the easiest is the person that is self-deceived. But when you, above all else, I love Jordan Peterson, above all else, he doesn't say above all else, but he says, uh, tell the truth or at least don't lie. You know, you kind of think about that one for a little bit. I mean, Jordan Peterson fans in here. Tell the truth or at least don't lie, especially to yourself. I'm telling you, man, we find ourselves in more trouble from lying to ourselves than anything else. And we are good at it. We are good at manipulating ourselves. We are good at convincing of our, ourselves of these other truths and realities. And we even know better. It's like we're schizophrenic. It's like we think with two different minds, you know? It's like your heart's down here going, mm, I don't think so. And your mind is like, nah, trust me. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth. Always be truthful, at least to yourself. With the breastplate of righteousness, right, the breastplate guards your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. For out of your heart flow all the issues of life. As a, as a man believes in his heart, so is he. It is, with, it is with the heart that we believe unto righteousness. So that this breastplate of righteousness is guarding your heart. Always persuade your heart of your righteousness in him. Always persuade your beliefs of your standing and your righteousness in Him. Even when you're in the midst of temptation, leading toward that same destructive behavior, tell yourself, no, this is just a chemical in my body causing me to want to do this, and my mind thinks that I want it, and I, my body really is going this direction, but no, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. This is not who I am. Sometimes you give in, sometimes you access that grace and you step back. I mean, have you ever prayed and overcome temptation? How great does that feel? That's, that's righteousness. That feeling, that sense of strength and power and just that goodness that you feel when you overcome whatever, whether it be angry or anger or view or drink or watch or whatever, and you overcome that temporary temptation, and then you're standing in it. Now, that can turn into pride and be a little bit too proud of yourself, but it's okay to be proud of yourself. You know that? You don't always have to look at yourself as, well, I'm just humble, I can't be proud. No, I, want, I think God wants you to be proud of yourself, but not pride in the sense where you take credit for it. All right, so with your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, in other words, your steps are ordered. The way, that you're, the way of your life is walking in the gospel, walking in knowing uh, the finished work of Christ, I think it goes into. So Ephesians, keep going. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith. So you got that shield. Now, this is, this is my belief. And remember, faith is not what you do to get God to respond to you. Faith is not what you do. I'm going to say that again. Faith is not what you do through prayer or behavior to get God to respond to you. Faith is your response to what God has already done in Christ. Amen. Amen. 
Faith says, no, I have been delivered from the power of darkness. No, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. No, I have peace. No, I have patience. No, I have wisdom. So faith says, wisdom is already within me in spirit. So I'm going to, I don't know how it works, but I'm going to stand and I'm going to trust that grace is empowering me in this moment to live within the power of the spirit in any given situation. That's faith. Faith is not... God, would you show up and do this like magic? Most of us think prayer in terms of magical sense. It's, it's odd when you think about how most of us pray, as if God's up there manipulating and changing everything. Mostly he changes you, and then you change the world. All right. So uh, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The enemy comes at you from the outside in. Darts, flames, strategies, schemes. God works from the inside out. Huge difference. The enemy's out here trying to mess with your life. God works within you to strengthen and empower you. I want you to be so full of God that the enemy has no place within you. Specifically in your thoughts, which is where we're going. And that's what Jesus, I love what Jesus says. The enemy comes, he's got nothing in me. There's nothing in me, Jesus said. There's nothing in me that's a, that would be influenced by the options that the enemy is going to bring to me. And we see that in his, when he was baptized. And we'll go to that in a second. Take the helmet of salvation. In other words, guard your thoughts with the fact that I am saved. Well, you know, you don't act saved. No, I am saved. I have salvation in Christ. Well, I don't know if you really believe, then you would have this fruit in your... And I'm telling you, religion is the one... <laughs> Legalistic performance-centered religion is a tool in the hand of the enemy to get you to question your salvation. If you hear people that say, well, you know, a person that's really saved wouldn't do that, so I'm not so sure that you're saved. You ever heard that thought? No. no? Okay. No, I'm going to renew my How is salvation work? By grace through faith. Now, should you continue in sin once saved? No. But how are you saved? By grace, through faith, in the finished work of Christ, in that blood. Never behavior. Mike, would you bump that air down? Just, just one degree. I see some fanning. and Everybody good? If it gets too warm in here, we start doing the old... So you see what the devil comes in here. I'm telling you, the devil gets blamed for so much stuff that's just so silly. Uh, all right, so how do we wrestle? Because the idea, well, I didn't finish this, and, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, always renewing your mind with the Word of God. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds, and you renew your mind with the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times. You didn't know that was in there, did you? Like, like, like Christians are really good at preaching, put on the whole armor of God. Well, you know what? Pray in tongues too. Oh, this is that kind of church. Yeah, it is that kind of church. But we're not going to line you up here and make you do something against your control. It's a, it's a gift. It, it's praying with your spirit is what you're doing when you engage that gift. You're praying with your spirit. And he says, pray in spirit. Pray in the spirit at all times with every kind of prayer and petition. To this end, stay alert with all perseverance in your prayers for all the saints. All right, so stay alert. Why? Why? Because 1 Peter 5, 8, 
Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, saved or lost. Now, all right, let's keep going. Ephesians 2, 4. And actually, let me comment on that. Well, no, let me keep going. I will in just a second. So, how do we wrestle? Be sober-minded, be watchful, knowing that the enemy is out there lurking. Now, how does the enemy come? I will comment. Thank you. Thank you for that encouragement, my lovely wife over there. How, how do you stay watchful? How do you stay sober-minded? You recognize, am I attracting deception into my life? Now, most of us are not, you know, again, engaging in satanic rituals, but a lot of us are saying things like, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just not that smart. Oh, I, just, I just, you know, man, I can't believe I keep doing it. I'm just so stupid. Why do I do that? I'm just so stupid. Some people talk to that. You know, some of y'all talk to yourselves. If somebody else talked to you that way, there'd be a fight. But see, here, here's how the enemy works. He's roaming around, and what he's attracted to is this. Somebody's sitting there going, oh, man, I know I shouldn't do that. I know I shouldn't drink that. I know I shouldn't eat that. I know I shouldn't look at that. I know I shouldn't respond that way. But, you know, I mean, I'm already halfway in it, so I'm just going to go ahead this time, and the next time I'm going to be in a fight. The enemy, yeah, does that sound familiar? The enemy then comes in. The enemy then comes in. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for those self-defeated mindsets looking for those weaknesses and entry points to reinforce. So here's how the enemy works more than any other thing. You're sitting there and see, it, you think of Jesus. The enemy comes and he has nothing in me. That gives us a huge doctrinal clue. The enemy is coming to you, looking in you for something to mess with. The enemy comes and he has nothing in me. Jesus says. Now, he may still try and mess with things out here, but, there, but he can't touch me. So what's in you that's susceptible to the deception? So you might be sitting there thinking, well, man, I'm just stupid. I'm just, I'm just always going to be broke. You know, it's just, it's just how it is. I'm just always going to work these kind of jobs. I'm just always going to attract this type of crazy spouse. I'm just always going to, I just see myself, this is who I am. I'm just, you know, every, every, all the children in my family, my kids, my grandkids, my parents, everybody, everybody just displays is just who we are. Well, you're reinforcing those lies and that self-deception. And then the enemy comes and, can, and just gets in sync with you. Because, see, there's no indication that evil spirits can read your thoughts or make you think certain things. But... There is indication that they can work like, because they are evil spirits, spiritual forces. You know, I think of it in terms of like a radio signal, right? So right now there are invisible signals going through this room, all through this room right now. And if you had a, a receiver, you tune it to a particular frequency, you're going to pick up a particular radio station. And you're going to get certain kind of music on this particular channel or certain kind of music on this particular channel. I see our hearts as a receiver, and you are listening to different signals coming into you. Now, you can have your heart tuned to the voice of God who is broadcasting to you. No, you are, you are righteous in me. 
No, here's some grace to power and strengthen you. I want you to go over there and I want you to pray for that person. I want you to believe this about yourself. You can tune your, voice, your heart to God, what God is broadcasting, or what the enemy's broadcasting out here. And see, the enemy is not going to come at you with some booming voice that you can't, that, that is distinct from you. It's going to sound just like you. Now, if your heart is receptive to that frequency, let's call it, that message, you'll receive it. You'll host it. You'll entertain it. And it will reinforce your already negative beliefs and thoughts. And that is what a stronghold is. A stronghold is not the evil spirit itself. It's the lie or the belief that you already have about yourself that the enemy reinforces. The lie itself is what becomes the stronghold. You get rid of the lie, then you're just like Jesus. The enemy has nothing within me. Now, how do you get rid of the lie? You believe who you are in Christ, contrary to your behavior even. It makes no sense for you to sit there and tell yourself that you're the righteousness of God in Christ. You are complete in Him. You are holy above reproach. You are unblameable and unreprovable because you are in Christ. Because your, your mind is saying, no, I'm, the preacher told me that I was a sinner. That sounds right to me because that's how I feel and I have this guilt and this shame. So that's what's true. I'm a shameful, guilt-ridden worm of a creature that deserves judgment and punishment. Well, that kind of used to be true but not for those who are in Christ. Now, your behavior might mirror somebody that that is true of. Are you with me? But it, that's, that's the difficulty of repentance, of humbling yourself, is to lay down the stuff that is screaming to you that verifies your behavior and adopt and put on the new man. You are to put off the old and put on the new. Not to try to become something, but to own the fact that you already are. That's the battle. No, I am victorious over this. No, I am not going to give. Because your emotions are surging and raging for you to stay locked into that behavior and that destructive, defeated mindset. And I'm not just talking about obvious sinful behavior. I'm also talking about those self-limiting beliefs that keep you broke and sick your whole life. The enemy will come at you with that stuff too, and then you just keep making choices, you know. But the Lord, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, God wants to bless you exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or imagine so that you will be a blessing. Yes. Not so that you get your Bugatti and you live in your 12,000 square foot mansion and you have a plane and houses in the Caribbean. I mean, if you get that, whatever, that's fine, you know, but that's not, you're not using your faith for that stuff. Right? Man, I am. So let's keep going. How do we wrestle? We're talking about how do we wrestle. Be, be, be aware. Be aware. And mostly be aware of what you're allowing yourself to believe about yourself. Does it mirror what Christ has completed within you? Or is it more defined by who you, how you behave in this life? Which version of you is, do you think is you? Do you feel is more real? Let's keep going. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Say, I'm alive with Christ. Alive with Christ. So, 
By grace you've been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, this is not necessarily talking locational, right? In terms of you were in the earth and now you're on some seat up in the heavens. This is a statement of authority. You share the throne. Now, you're not God. You're not going to become a God. Some people get nervous when you hear these kinds of things. But you're a joint heir with Christ. He's given you the keys, right? He's given, he shared his authority and his power with us. So this, this statement that you were made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ means it's like you're a co-equal with Christ because Christ became human to make you acceptable in that place. We don't understand the authority and the power that we have. Because we think that that's somewhat blasphemous to think that we share that same kind of power and authority. Let's keep going. And this one set me free. In my weird, crazy experience, when I ran across this particular passage, and y'all still hear me quote this one all the time because it just is so meaningful to me. This is Colossians 1.12, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet or qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. There's so many benefits that come along with that who has delivered, say, has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, this is a declaration and a statement to all of creation, also the spirit, spiritual realm. This is a declaration to every spiritual created being to say, these people, these humans, my creation, those who are created in my image that have allowed me to make them new with the blood of Christ, they are now in my kingdom. It's like God announced to all of creation, put humanity right there in Christ and said, now this humanity has a place here in my kingdom. Humanity has a place next to me. On my throne. Humanity has a place of all a future, all my future plans. Humanity has a place to be with me, not to be cut off, not to be destroyed, not to be separated, but to be with God forever. Do you see that? There's a revelation in that that I think can settle it even deeper into your heart of the fact that you have been delivered from the power of darkness. The power of darkness you have been delivered from. Now, you can choose to go and still entertain and play around with it and believe it's lies and deception if you so choose. But you never have the excuse of, well, you know, the enemy's just eating my lunch today. Well, you know, quit giving him the bag. <laughs> How do you quit giving him the bag? All right, so this idea of translated, I just I did, I wanted to dig into that a little bit more. And we're almost done. Translated. It's the Greek word, uh, uh, methistomy, methistomy, and this is uh, in the Greek, out of the Thayers, I got this a little bit more expanded definition. This is, the, if, you're, if you like to dig into original language study tools, this is the uh, Greek um, uh, Strong's Concordance number 3179, translated into the kingdom means this to transpose, transfer, remove from one place to another. You have been removed out of the world and placed into the kingdom of God. 
So it's a change of situation or place to remove from the office of a steward to depart from life to die. And, you know, we die in him. How did he translate you? You died to this world and you are made new, alive in him. You literally died out of the world and have been made alive in his kingdom. And that's already happened. You, this body hasn't experienced that yet, but your spirit has. You died. You died. You literally died in Christ and have come back to life in that heavenly dimension. Now, your body's going to follow suit one day. Praise God for that. Amen? However that works out, whether it's re renewed this one or a new one. Are you all thinking? Are you hungry? Are you good? You getting something out of this? All right, I know these are a little bit different. So, <clears throat> this, the, so the, the root word, histemi, here means to cause or make to stand, to place, put, set, make firm, fix, establish. And the meta in front of it is with. So the, the idea is you are positioned to stand with Jesus. Now, you can even use your imagination in this sense, where when you have, when you're entertaining self-defeating beliefs, you're entertaining guilt and shame related to a behavior and you're trying to go to the Father and pray and you're trying to renew your mind and, and there is a repentant element not to try to get God to forgive you over and over and over but to stand in that forgiveness that He's already given you in the blood of Christ. There is an apologetic approach. There, there is an aspect of an apologetic approach to God. And God, I'm, I'm, I'm just sorry. I can't believe I continued in this behavior after you've already set me free from it. Not to try to get him to forgive you, but to realize, no, I'm already forgiven, but I want to I clear my conscience. I, I don't want anything between me and you, Father, in my own mind and my heart. That's what repentance is. Repentance is not God's holding your sin against you, and then you confess your sin, and then God forgives you over and over and over and over. Now, Jesus is your once and for all sacrifice for sin. Jesus, the blood of Christ, is your forgiveness. So when you're talking about this whole standing thing and you got these self-limiting beliefs and destructions and temptations, and even if you fall and you have that guilt and shame, or maybe you're even sitting in jail, or maybe you've wrecked and somebody's lying on the street and you're genuinely facing these consequences of your behavior. You know, I mean, let's get real. What are you going to do? Are you going to continue to repeat those same cycles and patterns? Are you going to continue to offend and push away and destroy? Or are you going to say, no, I, I see this, and yes, there is a mourning process, there is a process. You don't want to just detach. You know, It's not like you're ignoring what's going on in this life, but there is this process of, no, I am not this guilt. I am not this shame. I am not this behavior. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, you might have consequences to pay in this earth. And, and rightfully so, justification or, or, or uh, what's the word? Give you give up. <laughs> Justice. Justice must be served, even in this realm, right? All right. Almost there. So how do we stand? Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You want to know how to win against devils? Resist. How do you resist? You acknowledge, I have been delivered from the power of darkness. 
translated into his kingdom. This stuff has no place in my life. The enemy has no power to just overtake me other than my self-deception. So how do I submit to God? I'm going to submit and humble myself to believe what he says about me. Do you see that? See, resisting the enemy is not... Come out, Jesus! You know, you see this like wrestling. No, no. How did Jesus cast devils out? Go. And it was an authority. Just like he sent the word to heal the Roman centurion's servant, go. That's how he cast devils out. Go. And, and, and the enemy, the, the, the one devil, that, or there's one or two, depending on which book you read, comes out of the cave and they come up to Jesus and they're saying, who are, you, who are you? Or we know who you are. And he says, now what's your name? He's not asking the devil's name. He's asking the name of that person. He's trying to connect to that person and snap them out of being deluded and given over to that enemy. And he's trying to connect with that person, but that person is so deluded that they let the enemy respond. And Jesus is like, okay, I see. You just get on out of here. And then he deals with the person. You see that? Like this idea of tell me your name. My name is offense. Come on. Yes, I am making fun of that in case you had any wonder. Now, an offense may be cohabitating within that person and allowing the enemy to still have influence, and you've got to deal with that offense, but we're not trying to identify spirits so we know what kind of action to take. Next morning, next week. All right, again, how do we wrestle? Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you, is greater than he who is in the world. If you just know that and you become adept at shifting your thoughts to put on who you are in Christ to the point that your emotions change, you will be impervious to the tactics of the enemy. Now, that's a key there. Put on the truth of who you are in Christ to the point that it changes your emotions, that you feel righteous, that you feel accepted by God. Not because we're trying to live by emotion, but if you don't shift your emotional reality, you'll continue the behaviors because you do what you feel regardless of what you believe. That's the trick. That's the goal. That's the big aha moment. That's how you win spiritual warfare. Put on the truth until it changes my inner state, until it changes my inner reality. And that doesn't magically make things happen. It just puts you in a position where you're standing in your authority in Christ rather than still engaging in the world with the same principles of flesh. Okay? Now, can you do that? Do you know how to do that? When you're sitting there and you're angry, can you put on who you are in Christ to the degree that joy rises up over that anger? Can you put on patience when everything within you is screaming to make a really bad decision? You know, can you put on humility when you're sitting there, I just, man, I'm going to give this person a piece of my mind. How many of you struggle with that one? And then you look back and there's like dead bodies and smoke rising up and you're like, 
Well, that's just me. I just say things. <clears throat> Last verse here. 2 Corinthians 10, 3. Then we'll go to picnic. 2 Corinthians 10, 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now remember, the stronghold is not some spirit anchored over a city that you got to get into a helicopter and fly around and cast it down. The stronghold is the lie that's within you that is giving the enemy influence in your life. You get rid of the stronghold, the lie, the enemy no longer has influence. Casting down arguments. So, okay, so how do you pull down strongholds? See, if, if, if we were to battle, have you ever heard of that? Strongholds over a city and you got to go attack the stronghold that's over that city and you got to break the stronghold that's over the city. Okay, well, this tells you how to battle strongholds. And there's no helicopters involved. It's casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought. How do you cast down strongholds? Bring thoughts into captivity. You're not going and I bind you, devil, and look like you're tying up devils and you're casting them into the abyss. Well, you're fighting devils. You're going to catch this little thing or tie it up. You cast it away. Sorry, I'm a little excited about this one because I just, I've seen so many people give in to this strangeness. But the way that you cast down, tear down strongholds is you deal with your thoughts. It couldn't be more clear. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's what the stronghold, the enemy is trying to do, is steal the knowledge of God. That's what these Nephilim and these watchers were trying to do from beginning, is remove the knowledge of God from the earth. And so then when you see the Christian body get upset about prayer being taken out of schools. The Bible is not a textbook in school anymore. You have an attack on God's, uh, uh, on gender and the way God created things, on behaviors that are made acceptable now because love is love. You see, it, and I'm not trying to point fingers and judge people for behaviors. I'm just pointing out, you see these issues being attacked in our society and culture and it's the same kind of tactics, trying to steal the knowledge of God out of the earth and make us believe and accept all these things that are obviously contrary to the nature of how God created things. Now, that doesn't mean we need to go into the world and get scared and afraid and attack people. How do we address those things? We deal with mindsets. We go into the world first and foremost carrying mercy, carrying love, not judgment. The body of Christ is known well, unfortunately known for leading with the finger of judgment. And how's that working for us? Not very good. And this is not a permissive message. It's one that we need to change our tactics. We need to lead with love. We need to lead with mercy. We need to leave with forgiveness. I mean, sinners going to sin. The world is going to do what it's going to do. We, not, we don't need to be shaped by fear that the world is being influenced by sinful mindedness and, and, and the loss of the knowledge of God, let's bring it back. And let's, let's not get upset when politics doesn't do it because that's not going to do it. That's just one realm that we can have some influence. But it's people with people. Amen? Amen. All right. 
casting down arguments, and you're arguing in your own head when you got guilt and shame related to behaviors. It's an argument within you to deal with and put on the new man. Casting down uh, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Bringing every what? Every what? Are you sure it doesn't say devil? How many of you have been in deliverance ministry or you've seen deliverance ministry where you're trying to make that devil obey Christ? You ever been in? Honestly, raise your hand. I want to see. A few of you. That is not what this is saying. (laughs) And you're not even trying to get your thoughts to obey Christ. Here's what you're doing. So let me finish bringing every thought into captivity. Into captivity. Into what? To the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, I'll explain that verse next week. But specifically what you're doing is you're wrestling with your own thoughts. And what are you doing with your thoughts? You are bringing them into alignment to what Christ was obedient to. You're not trying to make your thoughts obey Christ. You're not even necessarily trying to get yourself in fight with yourself to obey Christ. You're making your thoughts be in agreement with what Christ was obedient to. What was Christ obedient to? Christ was obedient to the death of the cross. You know, he learned. That was a teacher for him. What Christ obeyed was God, the plan of salvation. It backs all the way up to putting on the armor of God, which has everything to do with your new nature and who you are in him and your helmet of salvation. Amen? So... What you're doing is you're bringing your thoughts in. You say, all right, so here's, here's what it is. Well, you know, you already have got one foot and you've already, you've already opened your mouth and said this, so you may as well go ahead and let them have it. Well, you've already put, you know, 500 down on that game. Might as well go ahead and make it 5,000 on that game because, you know, you're going to win this time. You bring those thoughts in captive to, no, let me think about this. And so here's the process that you take yourself through. Whatever it is that you start wrestling with and struggling with, you, you get a hold of yourself. You be honest with yourself. You say, no, I'm being tempted right now. It's not the enemy trying to tempt me. I want this. I, th- that's, that's where it starts, admitting and owning it. Say, own it. Okay. I want this. We don't want to say that about our favorite sin. But you wouldn't do it if you didn't like it. As much as you might hate it, you're getting something out of it. Own it. No, and, but don't identify, don't let it shape your identity, but own that it's in you. Like Paul said, there's, this sin is in me. Own that it's there. Own that you've entertained it and hosted it somehow. This, this is in me. Yes, I'm being tempted. Yes, I've made this decision again. Yes, I've, I've blown it again. But Jesus paid for it. So number one, I am forgiven in Christ already. God is not holding this against me. That doesn't excuse the behavior. doesn't mean I can continue it. It's going to kill me. But first and foremost, you acknowledge Jesus paid for this. So you clear the air in your mind with God, who is the only one that can help you in that moment. And then whatever the nature of the struggle, what did Jesus do about it? I'm tempted to blow up at this person in anger. I'm tempted to make a poor financial decision. 
I'm tempted to drink this, eat this, watch this. I'm tempted to not do this. Whatever it is, find something in the atoning work of Christ that redefines who you are. No, I have patience within me, so I'm going to eat the fruit of patience and allow the Spirit of God to develop patience within me, so I'm not going to go out and burst out in anger. Father, help me understand and know who I am that... Patience is my first choice. Patience is my nature. Anger is not my nature. What, whatever that looks like, that is how you do spiritual warfare. You bring those thoughts captive to what Christ was obedient to. You put on the new man until it changes your inner state, and then you will live differently. See, because you're not trying to make yourself change through that process. You're trying to clear the way so that who you are in your spirit actually can live, so that Christ can live through you rather than you through force and behavior modification try to reflect a new you. You can't do that on your own. Are you with me? Do you see that? You got to know the Word. You got to use the Word. Use the Word to fill your mind with who you are in Him. Sit within it long enough until it shifts. You know, it actually, if you can focus on something other than what you're focusing on for two minutes, physiologically, those hormones and those chemicals will run their course in your body and be ready for a new state. So if you can shift your focus away from whatever it is that's angering you, tempting you, causing the shame, cause, if you can shift your focus away from that and solely focus on the Spirit of God in you, whatever, for two minutes, just your physical body will go through a change where your cravings change. Now, if there's an addiction going on, that's a different reality you might need to lock yourself in a room until you, you know, your body, you have a little bit more control over yourself. Are you with me? Anybody? Ever? I'm not going to make you admit to that. But <laughs> Spiritual warfare is not where you've got to battle demons. It's where you stand in your authority in Christ. You put on the new man of who you are, and it always comes back to that. We're transformed by the renewing of You already are, so own it. Amen? Amen. Yes. Is that helpful? Yes. Let's stand up, if you would. Have confidence in the power of Christ in you and spend time renewing your mind. Now, I want you to just see a picture of yourself. Look into your future, into your home, into your bedroom, into your porch, wherever. Wherever you read your Bible. Did you hear me? Get a picture of yourself in your mind of where you sit when you read your Bible. I'm giving you a minute there because I know some of you don't have that because you don't read your Bible. <laughs> Are you with me? You're going to stir up the Word within you. Now, that's a little bit of a joke. Sorry, I, I betrayed your trust just for a little bit there to make a point. But just do this. Just see yourself in your, in your own house or wherever you are and watch yourself pick up the Word, look at it and read it, and I want you to see that there's a whole host of spiritual activity, good, positive spiritual activity around you, protecting you, guiding you. God is with you. And I want you to see the Holy Spirit inside. Whatever that looks like in your imagination, some of you have a struggle with that. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with you if you can't. I'm not talking about trying to have a vision. Just, just use your imagination for just a moment of what the Spirit of God might look like inside of you as you're reading the Word, and it's maybe a light that's beginning to creep up into your mind and change how you think. And I just want you to watch yourself 
become lighter. Just want you to watch yourself become more hopeful and strong because you're putting the Word of God within you and you're teaching and you're training yourself and you're giving place to the Holy Spirit to work within you. And just tell Him. Just say, I trust you, Holy Spirit. I invite you into my life every morning to lead me and guide me. I will plant your word in my heart, and your word works. I am transformed as I renew my mind, and I will use your word to renew my mind to the fact that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am holy. I am perfect. I am blameless in my spirit because of the work of Christ. And I put that on the rest of my being. Now, if you're in this room, if you've never said yes to Jesus, maybe you're watching online, I just want you to... So we'll have a couple of... Glenn, could you come forward? Maybe Glenn and Bob come up here. Uh, we're not going to take the time for a lot of prayer because we want to get over to the picnic. But if you've never said yes to Jesus, at the end of this, I want you to come forward. These guys will pray with you. We have a gift for you. If you don't want to come forward or you're watching online, go to our website, forward.church. Down at the bottom, there's a section. But if you don't want to, just close your eyes, put your heart on him, set your attention on him, and just say, yes, Jesus. I believe what you did was for me. I don't understand it all, but I believe you paid for my sin and you make me acceptable for the Father, with the Father. I trust you, and I believe that. Amen, amen.